0: What surprised me is the actual studies that support just how much more stressed and burned out people ask to multitask are than people who are not.
1: We all want to do all the things, all the time, and all at once. Can we though? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today's smart thinker is the emergency room veterinary technician and Net magazine writer, Alicia Degenhardt. Her recent article dug into the phenomenon of multitasking. In the first half, we discuss what she's seen that's worried her. And if you're not a VetEx subscriber and you miss her solutions, which are in the special extra full-length episode, just go do an internet search for "pet vet" all one word, and multitasking. Boom, her article. Okay, Alicia, let's chat. I stumbled onto your article online because I think I went looking for multitasking, and then I found your thing, which probably came up in some Google search, multitasking in veterinarian and multitasking in veterinary profession. So I guess I'd kind of just like to start. You wrote an article about multitasking. What inspired you to write it? And then what went into it?
0: First of all, I'm I'm excited that I'm a Google search result. That's new in my life. And that's- I seriously think you were, yeah. What a great modern accomplishment. So what inspired me to write this article and actually what has inspired the majority of my articles is just my personal experience as a veterinary technician or veterinary nurse. And- Specifically, the multitasking article came about, I was kind of thinking of the issue in the, I'm going to call them the pre-pandemic times. (laughs) It was on my mind already and something that I was just quietly observing in my veterinary clinic. And then, of course, when things made the shift to curbside, this topic has been talked about a lot, so I won't dwell too much on it. But you know, our tasks increased in a lot of ways inside the clinic and everybody had to reshuffle. And unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of time to reshuffle with a real sense of organization. It was more a sense of urgency. And I was just watching things happen and thinking, I know there's a better way, a better way to do this. And the real driving force, if we get down to it, is I was trying to figure out why so many very, very good technicians felt like they were doing a bad job. That really hit home for me because these people are my friends and my coworkers. And I think veterinary technicians in my experience are a really great group of people that, that shouldn't feel that way about themselves. And for them to be walking around feeling after a day of a number of accomplishments. Like they had done a bad job. I was trying to pinpoint why do they feel that way? What is the obstacle preventing them from doing what they feel is their best? It's also
1: interesting. So I don't work in a veterinary practice. I've only talked to people who work in veterinary practices for many years. And thinking about this switch over to curbside, I also have not visited veterinary practices during this pandemic. So sometimes there would be a lot of consternation. Some people who struggled with working with people would almost talk about, well, I prefer just having the pet (laughs) in the treatment area and that would be better. So to me, the curbside pickup, actually, when you said, oh, no, there's all these extra tasks, I imagine, oh, the number one, sometimes most difficult task about having to spend a spend a lot of time focused on worrying about what the client thinks about what's happening in the exam room or having to discuss difficult things with the client. That all goes away because you get to grab the animal from the parking lot, bring him in and then take it back out to the car. So tell me before we dig into, I do want to dig into why you think what, if you came to any answers, why veterinarians were feeling bad and then how multitasking might've played into that. But it seems like some of the, maybe one big task went away, but I don't think you're telling me it did. What, What happened?
0: Yeah. That didn't go away at all. In fact, if anything, the amount of communication had to increase exponentially because they couldn't see what we were doing. And I think it both increased and shifted the communication because when an owner can point out problems to you on their pet or Uh is there with their pet, they're able to communicate some things more clearly. And then likewise, you are able to do the same with the pet as kind of a physical map to your discussion. But then the other thing that you're talking about trying to reassure owners about what you're doing, if anything, that task became much, much more challenging because they can't see what you're doing. And so you have the challenge of communicating their pet's experience without sounding like You're being disingenuous. You're trying to communicate their pet's experience and they have to rely on your honesty, which I don't question the honesty of any of my colleagues, but they have to rely on your communication skills, your ability to paint a picture for them of what's happening when they're not there.
1: So someone comes in, they have some concerns or problems. The animal is there. There's you, there's the animal, and there's them. You have like that animal is like the interaction between the two of you are all coming together in that nexus of the animal. And they can point to say, this is where the cat or dog seems to feel pain. Or did you look at this? And then you guys can point to the same thing. And now that's all that. You're right. That physical map in the world is taken away. And now you have to paint everything with words.
0: Yes. Very challenging. And a a challenge that I really had never anticipated, and I don't think any of us had ever really anticipated it. We're already trying to communicate, I'm going to say translate, a language for owners in a veterinary clinic, which is we're translating medical terminology and medical knowledge to a home care environment. So, and that is quite the process in and of itself. And I'm not implying that pet owners are in any way unintelligent or don't understand us, but this isn't where they spend all day. This isn't the language they're immersed in. So you have to create a space for them to participate actively in their pet's care. And now we're doing that, but we're also doing it without that very important tool of their pet between us.
1: Do you think just from your own feelings in doing the job, did you feel like there was more, did you get a different emotional feel off people? Did people, as the pandemic started and people said, you you can't bring your animals into the hospital, we'll come out and get them. Did you feel, was there suspicion? Was there worry? Was there frustration? What was your overall feeling of the soup of the people who were in the parking lot?
0: There were definitely all of those things, but I really admired the number of people, the percentage of people that were incredibly trusting with their family member and their family member who sometimes didn't feel well. And I think that speaks a lot to them. And hopefully it speaks to us and to the relationship that we had built with them, that they were willing to hand over a pet to us for us to bring it out of their sight So yeah, we definitely did encounter some issues of anxiety and people that were feeling extremely uncomfortable with handing their pet over. But by and large, people were not only respectful, but supportive. And I was really impressed with that, especially considering all the outside factors that I know were adding additional stress to people's lives, not just our lives in the clinic, but everybody, everybody walking to that door was coming with a lot of baggage before they even had to have a potentially challenging conversation about their pets' health.
1: For whatever reason, you had a it was a kind of a positive feeling from the clients, even though it's not optimal. Most of them still want to come in, but they can't right now during the pandemic. So now you observed before the pandemic, you observed why are veterinary technicians beating up on themselves about the job they did? And then you saw this sort of increase in this new era where at least we can identify and say Hey, many of these clients actually seemed positive and supportive. So it wasn't the clients and, and the pets probably weren't any different. So maybe the procedures changed. What, from your perspective, especially pertains to multitasking, were you able to kind of dig anything out of that and figure out why did veterinary technicians and nurses feel bad about the job they did that day?
0: Well, one of the things I was able to identify by observation and by conversation was that people felt like they never had got everything done that needed to be done. And that is the nature of a veterinary clinic. (laughs) There's a lot to do, and you're never going to get it all done. Ideally, not be too hard on yourself about that. But really, really, um, we would have a full day of appointments and so many things to complete. And a lot of the end of the day would be spent tying up loose ends. And I think that really made people feel a little defeated because they're tired. They've worked a really long day. And then to find all these incomplete tasks, at the end of a day, nobody's walking out of there feeling like, I really, I really killed it today. That's probably not the turn of phrase that I'd like to use <laughs> right. in nobody, a veterinary nobody clinic. Nobody walks out
1: going, yes, great. There's yes, a lot of death.
0: Nope, yes. Sure. People weren't walking out of there saying, wow, that felt great. I really feel confident that everything I did today was on point. And the second thing I identified beside the fact that people were, that we were running into these incomplete tasks at the end of the day that kind of took the joy out of whatever we had done, yeah, is that pretty much everybody was making mistakes. And that's been since I started working in the veterinary clinic. And people make mistakes. And that's not something that I'm criticizing people for. I make mistakes all the time, pretty much every day. But people were making mistakes that they beat themselves up about because they are mistakes they felt they shouldn't be making. They know how to not make that mistake. And they were making it anyways. And I was trying to figure out how are they being set up to make these mistakes? Because these aren't people that aren't trying. These aren't people that aren't working hard. These aren't people that don't know what they're doing. So what in the environment is making it so that they have to make mistakes and that's when i really kind of narrowed it down obviously there's more factors than one but i feel that this multitasking issue is massive in why simple small mistakes happen daily in veterinary practices
2: Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions, a poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetxinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two.
1: It was interesting. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I was curious what your overall take was on multitasking. And I told you I'd read somewhere again in the sort of like, I don't know, the internet science world that they kind of said multitasking isn't really possible. Now you can task switch So you can do a number of things together at the same time and switch between them. But this feeling that we can do multiple things at the same time, kind of like a multi-armed God or goddess who can write and talk and do all the things at the same time isn't really what happens. It means your brain just switches a lot. So when you think about multitasking over the day, what does multitasking mean to you? What did it mean in this environment? Either leaving all the strands at the end of the day or you're talking about making mistakes simpler mistakes that they think I-, I thought it was beyond this. I don't understand how I did this. How did that happen?
0: Yeah, so my research supports everything that you're saying about neuroscience that what people are actually doing is just attempting to rapidly task switch. <laughs> okay. And I say attempting to do because it really doesn't work very well in our brains. Science supports that, neuroscience supports that. And it's not good for a work environment to put employees in a situation where they need to be task switching constantly. And what that looks like, so it looks like definitely the end result looks like both of those things, like like s- simple mistakes and like loose threads, as you call them. But what it looks like in our day in the clinic is, I would say the number one thing is the phone constantly ringing and needing to stop what we're doing to answer it. Another thing that plays in a lot is somebody needs help with something. Stop what you're doing. Help them with that. I'm not saying you shouldn't help people. Sure, Definitely need an environment where you can do that. The doctor calls you for something. Did you get this information about this client? Do you know this? Can you fill this prescription? And again, all of those are part of our job, important parts of our job and things that I enjoy doing, but they happen in no particular order. In a veterinary clinic and they frequently happen in the middle of whatever it is you're doing i mean i'll walk you through a general practice appointment from start to finish and the amount of task sw- switching that is required <laughs> is okay i mean really it's extraordinary so you take a history from the client and you're trying to process what they're telling you and write that down. And while you're doing that, I'm going to discuss this as though it were pre-curbside. You have the pet there. You're interacting with the pet. You're also doing kind of a visual overall full body assessment of the pet. If it's a well pet appointment, if it's a sick pet appointment, you might be trying to observe signs of illness and write those down for the veterinarian. You want to write down any medications that the pet is taking. A lot of times the client's history kind of doesn't follow any kind of pattern, even if you're presenting them with a, um, like a structured question asking format. So you're kind of organizing all that stuff. And then you're immediately going to switch as you tell your doctor what's happening because your doctor is going to ask you questions about this patient. But at this point, you're back in the treatment room. So there might be something you need to bring to the laboratory for that patient. You may or may not need to run that right away in the lab so that you get results before that patient leaves the building. So now you're in a laboratory frame of mind. You need to be discussing things with the doctor. You might get asked by a coworker if If you can help them restrain a patient in the back or if you can grab this prescription for the person that's up front in reception, then you're back into your appointment and you're recording information and you're also providing restraint and you might be drawing up vaccines. And you can see kind of just the whole process is demanding, mentally demanding, as far as just the flexibility of our thinking and our task performance. And that's one appointment and it's never one appointment. That's what's going on in a clinic.
1: I could feel it even imagining when you just started out first, you're doing this and then you're doing this and then you're doing this and then you leave and go to another room and you're taking what you did in that one room and you're bringing it here, but you're also possibly doing, there are other cases that have already started. So people might ask you questions Mm -hmm. about that too. And so now everything just mixing and mixing into this, I don't know, confusion. And I know it can be intoxicating. We've been in situations where we're like in the flow, where we feel like we can answer every question and do everything. So I wonder if people who had been in the flow five years ago now found themselves not in the flow, or do you think this was already a problem that people sort of were overcompensating for? And then when this extra stress came in, it just sort of forced everything over the cliff.
0: I think that it's, I don't meet many people that believe that that environment is the best environment to be working in. Okay. I don't meet many people that there are definitely people that enjoy it. Like you said, intoxicating.
1: Yeah. Um, Just high stress. Things are moving really, really mm -hmm. fast. You got to make quick decisions.
0: And I'm talking general practice here. I mean, I have not personally worked in an emergency practice, which I know has a a completely potential for being more amped up than that in, in a lot of ways. But I guess if what you're asking is, has this always been a problem? Yes, I believe so. And yeah, I do think that just the additional responsibilities of curbside without, again, the time to restructure meaningfully for it, we didn't close. We didn't close for one day. I remember, and I think I'll always remember, that first day of lockdown in my city driving to work on completely empty streets, <laughs> completely empty. I'm not exaggerating and pulling up to my clinic in silence. Everybody was in a mask and silent and we just kept going.
1: There was literally, even though the world changed from one day to the next, the world made a drastic change. Yeah. Every day you would still go into the same place you'd been the week before pre-lockdown.
0: Right. And we, had maybe a week of slowed appointments. Mm -hmm. That's about it. You know, for about a week, people, unless their pet was very sick, were hesitant to come in. But during that week, we did discuss what we were going to do, but definitely, and this is absolutely no blame placed on my clinic owners and managers who were really extraordinary leaders during this time. But we didn't necessarily come up with a better way to do this because we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't really know what this was going to look like yet. And also we weren't entirely present. We were thinking so much about everything going on around us and outside of us. Yeah. So yes, I do think it that it got worse. The multitasking got worse. And also a lot of clinics experienced staffing shortages because of pandemic related issues as well. And then you just have to do more.
1: So people are doing more. There really isn't time. People aren't in the headspace right before or at that. I mean, again, you could imagine, Oh, the week or two that was a little slower. Well, we all got together and had brainstorming and and vision setting meetings about what our new procedures could look like. I mean, just nobody was in the headspace for that.
2: No, I don't.
0: Totally
1: understandable reasons.
0: No, I really don't even think we could have done that. I think that would be asking too much.
1: So your article kind of comes off the back end of seeing this happening before, seeing it happen during, and then wondering about, because I'm sure you provided solutions. So my first question is, in your places where you practiced at the time, either before, during, and after you were thinking about multitasking, were you empowered to make any changes or did you try changes on yourself and how you were doing things? Or how other people were? Were you able to attest any of this stuff?
0: To some degree. I'm going to say baby steps. Baby (laughs) steps were put in place. It is very challenging in a running veterinary clinic to put these things into place. And I understand that. I think anyone reading this article is given my full permission to give me an eye roll (laughs) and say... Oh, yeah, that sounds great, Uh but how are we going to do it? I actually, everything I put in here I think is doable, but I think it's doable in baby steps. I think it's doable provided adequate staffing, which is a big issue right now, perhaps the largest issue facing most clinics. And I think it's doable with the right management team and clinic culture. So in my clinic, uh, there were some things that we changed Fairly minor changes that made some good differences,
1: mm-hmm.
0: some positive differences, and I think we could have done more and I think that that's very true of most clinics is you can make little changes, they help. you can usually do more. It's just a matter of training and consistency, resources. I say just a matter of and now I'm listing all the things, and <laughs> it's a matter of a lot of things coming together well, right.
1: But at the same time, it's interesting. I just talked to somebody who was, my impression from her, I would think that the practice owners making these large decisions that she helps them with would be turning down these large decisions right now. And she said no, because they've all been pushed up against the wall. Right. And they're now forced to decide these things. And they're just like, I have to do it. There's no other way. We can't live like this anymore. So it sounds like you put some smoke. I mean, people will make changes even in times of crisis people will make changes to process. They have to just to get through. It sounds like a lot of times people are able to muscle through with their old work habits. And that's the easiest thing to do in a time of crisis. Yes. So to go into specifics, I would be curious to go through all your ideas for ways that we could ease the end of day scramble and then also sort of low grade depression or bad feelings out of feeling like you never get everything done. And it starts to feel you just start every day is incomplete and unsatisfying.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And then the stuff, if you had suggestions that are about the things that happened during the process and during the day to help make that not happen. And also maybe to keep, I don't know. So people don't have to work so faster. People work smarter. A lot of times I feel like one solution to this is, compartmentalizing and specializing people. But now we're talking about a time when you can't get all your staffing. So really you're operating with rock stars who are doing multiple jobs, maybe in jobs they shouldn't have to do. So nobody's in the place where they could sort of set up a factory line and we could all do this more efficiently, faster and everyone feel better.
0: Yes, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, you brought up so many things here that I'm going to focus on them kind of one at a time. Okay, good. But no, everything I'm going to recommend Really works better with proper staffing. I truly believe that implementing some of these things could reduce turnover. I think the most astonishing thing I found in my research, I kind of went into this knowing multitasking was inefficient because I think there's a general understanding of that. And I think that we all have heard the whole, you know, oh, when you're multitasking, you're not working as fast or you're not working I think we kind of know that and I found that that's very well supported but what surprised me is the actual studies that support just how much more stressed and burned out people ask to multitask are than people who are not um, there was a study and it was published in 2008 I placed it in my paper here but basically it had people doing the same tasks but a group of them were interrupted and a group of them were not. And the interrupted participants reported stress, increased effort, frustration, burnout. They felt like they had worked much harder, even though they'd actually done the same number of tasks, but they had been interrupted frequently. And it was kind of one of those moments where I read it and I thought, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> Well, really, that there's a study, there's science to support that this is really stressful and that it burns people out. So unfortunately, chicken and the egg, I do think that we need good staffing to accomplish a lot of these recommendations.
1: But if you don't try to accomplish any of the recommendations...
0: You're not going to keep staff.
1: (laughs) Yes, that is a terrible chicken or the egg thing.
0: Right. And I think that... You know, for me, if I were looking for a place of employment and the management team had something like this to present to me, a structured environment that showed that they were cognizant of this problem, that would move it right to the top of my list because I know the effects and someone who is proactive about that would get my attention
1: did you hear from a lot of people or in your experience talking either to people hiring or being, I mean, do you think that's a typical thing that people would talk about in hiring interviews about the fact that we know how stressful it is right now and here are the steps we're taking, even though we're short staffed right now, we know this is a problem and these are the steps we're taking and you can see it happening and you could go out on the in the treatment area on the floor and ask people about it right now. I don't know. Does that seem like it's a big part of the conversation?
0: No. <laughs> and I can actually say, as somebody, so I, my previous clinic that I had worked at, I worked there for about approximately two and a half, three years before the pandemic started. It would have been three years. And then I worked through the pandemic with them. A wonderful clinic. I only left because I was moving. And I moved. And so I was actually actively job searching during the pandemic and curbside and also during this hiring crisis, and no, it was not addressed. Okay. And I'm not saying that these were bad practices or that these were bad owners or HR representatives. I just don't know that it's on the radar as being as important to employees as it is. I'm not the only person who feels this way. I'm not the only technician who feels that they would be really attracted to a clinic that said, Hey, we see you and we have a solution that we're working on.
1: That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.